glad you made it here through all the snow, and I'd like to welcome those who are unable to make it, who are watching on our live stream. It is a good day to get into God's Word. Let's go to Him in prayer. Father, it is amazing how much you want to speak to us. We would be surprised if we understood that you want to constantly speak to us through your word. I just ask you would give us the ability to hear by your spirit, cut through our distractions, cut through uh, our expectations that are low, and speak in a powerful way through your word by your spirit in a way that when we leave, we truly understand what it means to be dependent upon you and know you and trust you. Through your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Over the last year, many Christians have been targeted by terrorist groups, and indeed, some of them have been killed. The uh, atrocities have stretched from ISIS destroying Christians in Iraq to Boko Haram kidnapping and killing children in Nigeria. If I had an opportunity to speak to those Christians in Nigeria or Iraq, I would speak to those besieged Christians and I would preach to them about a deliverer. There are other parts of the world where Christians are undergoing a variety of oppressions and even being put in jail. You can think about in Iran, Pastor Saeed Abendini has been jailed for a while now, and there is a variety of persecutions that continue in the underground church in part of Asia. And if I had a chance to speak to some of those underground churches, if I had a chance to to speak to Pastor Abedini and his family, I would speak to them and preach to them about a deliverer. And though you are not undergoing persecution or jail or being threats to your life or being uh, killed, I would say this. The same spiritual warfare that is behind those physical attacks is the spiritual warfare that is behind the attacks that come in your life. Whether it be an idol that is ruling over you or despair and despondency that you may be feeling, Uh, there is a spiritual war going on and attacks happening to you. The same message I would preach in Iran, in Nigeria, in different parts to the underground church is the same message I will preach to you this morning, and it is the message of a deliverer. There is a song by the late Rich Mullins, who's a great singer with the Lord now. He says, my deliverer is coming. My deliverer is standing by in the midst of oppression attacks and pain, I'm going to try to instill some hope in you today from the Word of God that there is a deliverer that is coming. In fact, there is one that is standing by to intervene in your life. We're going to look at this deliverer as we turn back in the Bible to the book of 1 Samuel. We've been in 1 Samuel for a few months, and today we find ourselves in 1 Samuel 11. Israel has requested a king, as you may remember, 
And the king is going to be the deliverer. This is Saul. He's the anointed king. And we finally get to see a chance of him leading Israel into battle. Chances are you're never going to get a chance to study 1 Samuel 11 again. You're not going to just jump back and go, you know, I really want to look at 1 Samuel 11 again. This is your shot. So attempt to get into it. It's a story you're not going to be familiar with. But it's a story from the Word of God meant to encourage us about our Deliverer, ultimately in Christ. Let's go. Chapter 11, verse 1. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us and we will serve you. Jabesh Gilead represents the Israelites and the Ammonites are an old foe of Israel. And now their leader, Nahash, has surrounded this Israelite town. And the men are Jabesh or are hopeless here. And so they're trying to make this treaty with Nahash. It's interesting to me that Nahash means serpent. It's as if the great enemy of old is threatening God's people once again, as he continually does throughout time. And unfortunately, what the people of God tend to do when they are under spiritual oppression or attack consistently in the Bible is, what do we do as Christians when we're under attack? We panic. (laughs) The men of Jabesh They panic, and they feel they're out of options. So if you will notice, they try to strike a deal. Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. We could even say they're trying to strike a deal with the devil. And it's a familiar pattern that still plays out today, is that when we are hopeless or under a variety of oppressions and temptations, we are prone to compromise. And though you would never say it, chances are, from time to time, you make a deal with the devil. It may be that the temptations are too great, and you have this agreement. Leave me alone during the day, and you can have my nights. Because during the day, you're feeling okay, things are bright and looking up, and you feel like, okay, today I'm going to walk with the Lord But as the sun goes down and it gets dark, the temptations come back, the loneliness comes, and you go back to your deal with the devil. And I want you to know, when you make a deal with the devil, it's going to destroy you. Nothing good will come of it. Look at the story as it continues. Verse 2. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I will make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. The men of Jabesh are hoping for this peaceful coexistence with this pagan king, but that is never going to happen because once they submit to his rule, he wants to pluck out their right eye. And many think the plucking out of this right eye would hinder them as warriors because they would hold the shield with their left hand and peer out around the shield with their right eye. But if their right eye was 
plucked out, they would be dismembered warriors. And we are told that this would bring disgrace on all of Israel. There will be no peaceful coexistence when you make a deal with the devil. There is no peaceful coexistence under sin. There is no existence where you can say, okay, I'll give you this portion of my life. Let me have another portion of life. You may think that there are no consequences when you do that. You may think there are no consequences to your one-night stands, or there's no consequences to your binges, or there's no consequences to your verbal outburst, that there's no consequences. But when you make a deal with the devil, whether you call it that or not, when you strike a deal, pain, problem, destruction will follow. Verse 3. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days' respite that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then, if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. (laughs) These men realize, you know what? I don't want to lose my right eye. There's not going to be any benefit to this peaceful coexistence. Forget that. So let's let's make a deal, Jabez. We're going to go see if we can find help. And if we can't have fine help, then you can have our eyes and we'll submit to you. And Jabesh goes along with the plan. Perhaps he doesn't want a prolonged war with Israel, or maybe he wants to prolong their dread. Look at verse 4. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. Word reaches the town that Saul is from, and the people mourn loudly. Verse 5. Now, behold, Saul was coming from the filled behind the oxen, and Saul said, What is wrong with the people, that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. At this time, the great king Saul is still out farming and plowing the fields, and right now they're coming to him, this farmer, and they're saying, Help, we need your help. How is this farmer going to deliver them from the oppression? Isn't that a great question? And the key verse that you might want to underline, circle through this whole chapter, is a display of how this deliverance is going to come about. And it is in verse 6. And the Spirit of God rushed upon him, upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. So the Holy Spirit rushes upon Saul, stirs him up, to holy anger, and he's transformed from this farmer into a warrior king with righteous anger to fight against the enemies of God. That's how the victory is going to come about. I want to pause mid-sermon here and give you a little systematic theology. I think it's important to pause and explain things occasionally from the Old Testament because they don't go along exactly the way you understand them in the New Testament. Here's a little systematic theology for you on the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, there are times when the Spirit of God would come upon a certain person to empower them to carry out a mission or a task on behalf of God's people. During the book of Judges, the Spirit would come upon Gideon and lead him to his victories, or the Spirit would come upon Samson with his his mighty strength. But in the Old Testament, the empowering of the Spirit was not always permanent. 
actually coincided with the willingness and the character of the recipients. So in the Old Testament, you can see the Holy Spirit departing from someone. It doesn't happen in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, is in you to stay for good. But in the Old Testament, the Spirit can depart when there is disobedience. And we'll see later on the Spirit depart from Saul. But here, the Spirit comes upon Saul, stirs him up to bring Israel deliverance. Let's continue with our little systematic theology lesson and let you know that even Jesus had the Holy Spirit come upon him in the beginning of his ministry. Did you know that? Matthew chapter 3, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. The imparting of the Spirit to Jesus acknowledged that he was God's Son and empowered him for ministry. There's other comments of his empowering by the Spirit. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. From beginning of this time, you can see that Jesus' ministry is Spirit-empowered from the miracles to the casting out demons to the, the miracle big, just big, the, the, what he does with the water. It's the spirit-empowered ministry all the way to his death on the cross, bearing the wrath of God. He is buried, and by the power of the Spirit, he is raised three days later. And is this spirit-empowered ministry that you can put your faith in Jesus and be forgiven of your sins and live with him forever. So just like the Old Testament, they would look to the spirit-empowered Saul. Now we look to the King Jesus, our spirit-empowered deliverer. Systematic theology lesson over. Let's go back in and look at the spirit-empowered ministry of Saul, verse 7. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messenger, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. God stirred up Israel, brought them out to fight. If you're thinking about this, if you were ever reading this on your own, 1 Samuel 11, and you would be wondering, what are the connections that you're supposed to make with your own life? I don't think I would encourage you to make the connection with Saul as if you were just spirit-empowered enough you can be your own deliverer. I don't think that's the connection we're supposed to see. A more helpful connection may be to see yourself in the people of Israel coming to follow the Spirit-empowered Deliverer. As God stirred up the people of Israel to follow Saul, so he stirs us up to follow Jesus. And as Saul was Spirit-empowered to lead them to victory, so Jesus leads us to victory and safely home as we are in him. 
And the language I want you to use, if you're all for writing things down or trying to remember things from this message, I think this is the correct language that I would use. Rather than telling you to be the spirit-empowered deliverer, I want you to follow that one, Jesus. And I think the right and correct language would be spirit-empowered dependence. The people came out after Saul as God stirred them up, presumably by his spirit, and they followed the spirit-empowered deliverer. And what I would like to see in my life and your life is this spirit-empowered dependence. As we feel weak, we feel burdened, we feel spiritually oppressed, we would come back to look at Jesus in the spirit-empowered dependence. Jesus put it this way from John 15, 5. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you believe that? When you are under pain and suffering and you're in a bind, do you truly believe apart from Jesus, you can do nothing? That is a, a verse that is highlighting the spirit-empowered dependence. God is not calling you, figure out how to get out of your jam. He's calling you to spirit-empowered dependence. How is it possible for Christians who are losing their heads and losing their lives not to recant their faith? Spirit-empowered dependence. How is it possible when you know people who are being oppressed and are under great suffering for them not to turn to sin? Spirit-empowered dependence. And how do you persevere when your circumstances don't change? Spirit-empowered dependence. The man who has modeled this for me probably the most in my life uh, is a man who's empowered me and encouraged me the most by his music. It's a guy named Dennis Jernigan. And I don't know if any of you know him. Uh, We sing or have sung in the past some of his songs. Uh, You may know that song, You Are My All in All. I used to uh, listen to him and still do a lot. He is a man that the Lord uh, delivered him from a life of homosexual sin. And through his ongoing temptations and struggles, he clings to the Lord in the spirit-empowered dependence. And his music carried me through grad school. His music carried me through, through my early days in ministry. And his music carries me through my sufferings now. Because when you listen to his music, he's not saying, get yourself out of your own jam. Figure out your own, own get out of your own temptations. He continually is going back to the Lord and his strength. He's continually going back to depending upon the Lord who is the deliverer. And I am very encouraged as he models spirit-empowered dependence in his own life through his own suffering and temptations, and it encourages me to continue on with spirit-empowered dependence upon my deliverer, Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at, the depend- let's look at this deliverance. Let's see how it plays out in the Old Testament in the story here. Verse 8. When he mustered them at Bezek, that's all the people who came out, the people of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah, 30,000. What a great response. God did it. He's stirring these people up to follow this, this deliverer. And they said to the messengers who had come, 
Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have deliverance. You men in Jabesh, you women in Jabesh, get ready. Deliverance is coming. Your deliverer is coming. Your deliverer is standing by. And continue on. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. That's what they tell the Ammonites. And the next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning, watch, and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day, and those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. God did it. He led his people through a spirit-empowered king. And it wasn't just the king of Israel that pulled this off. It was the one who was empowered by God's spirit. And the victory is ultimately God's victory. And he is the one who has rescued his people. But there is something that the people have to do, right? It's not like they just kick back. No, they had to act. They were spirit-empowered. And it was this dependence that enabled Saul and the people to march off into battle and to win the victory. And I believe through this story that God is teaching the people, look, you don't need a king like the rest of the nations. You need a king who is going to depend upon me. You need a king who is going to depend upon the ultimate king. God is teaching his people about dependence, about relying upon him, that when things seem bleak and that people want to poke out your eyes and rule over you, you do not need to seek a compromise. You do not need to make a deal with the devil. You do not need to pull off a peaceful coexistence. You can say, I'm dependent upon my king, and if I'm going to get out of this situation, he has to be the one to bail me out. It's a looking to the ultimate king, and for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Great victory, pulled it off, and what follows in the next verses 12 through 15 is something called the renewal of the kingdom. I'll explain it to you in a moment. Look at verse 12. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Remember that last chapter? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day. For today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Because God is the one who pulled it off, right? He's the one that works salvation in Israel. Let's keep going. Verses 14 and 15. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there, check it out, renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. You may be wondering, haven't we done this already? Hasn't Saul already been anointed in private and he was anointed in public? What does this mean, this renewal of the kingdom, where they're proclaiming Saul king and they're making these sacrifices to the Lord? Why are they renewing the kingdom? I think the reason why they're renewing the kingdom is because among the Israelites, there has been some slippage. There is some slippage in wondering if this king Saul, this farmer, can deliver us. There's been some slippage in trusting that God can actually pull off this victory. 
there's been some slippage in their commitment to the king. So Samuel gets them away. They renew their commitment and allegiance to King Saul. But it's ultimately, if you see a commitment to God, because they're doing these peace offerings, and they're rejoicing before the Lord greatly. They're renewing their commitment to their king. I like this. There are times where we need to pull back and we need to renew our commitment to our king. And the reason why we need to renew our commitment to our king is because even in our own lives, we experience slippage. Where we used to trust God in a certain way, but then hard times and circumstances and oppression and spiritual warfare came, and we started trying to figure things out on our own, had some doubts, and our trust and our commitments were not the same. We're like, okay, I need to renew my commitments to the Lord. It's because of those circumstances and of those experiences that cause doubt. My wife and I and my family have been taking care of our number six child, who is our foster son, for the last 38 months. The average stay in a foster home before they are either go back or they stay is probably around 17 to 23. We're in month 38. And this week we had court. We've been to court several times to figure out what's going to happen. And as we share with you, there are friends who ask what's going on. And we pretty much say every time, a bunch of nothing. Nothing. And then I will make some snarky comment about the state of Illinois and their court system, and then I'll say some bad stuff about this and that. And what I find my heart doing is slipping. Is God really in control? Does he really know what's going on here? It was interesting. The judge asked me this week. He's never asked me. He's like, do you want to you say anything? And I've never said anything before the court until this week. I was like... Excuse me, Judge. <laughs> We've been doing this for 38 months. Well, what's going on? Let's get going. But he's just an earthly judge, right? It's really my lack of trust and commitment to my heavenly king. I need this renewal of my commitment to the king and his kingdom. And I think from time to time, you do too. And and it often comes in a context of anxiety and worry and not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. Did you know that I believe Jesus calls for a renewal and a commitment to the kingdom when he was here on this earth in the context of anxiety and worry about tomorrow? He said specifically If you are feeling anxious and worried about tomorrow and not committing to the king, he said this, Matthew chapter 6, 33, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That is a New Testament commitment about renewal 
of the kingdom, renewing your commitment to the king. In the midst of anxieties and worries about tomorrow, Jesus rushes in and says, renew your commitment to me and to my kingdom. Don't worry about tomorrow. I'm going to take care of that. Do you understand that when we're reading the Bible, it's not as if God is constantly trying to tell you, figure out how to get out of your circumstances. Figure out how to make your life better. What? I know most of you are going to leave this church one day. You're going to move somewhere else and go to some other church because you're going to move from Evanston and you're going to move on with your life. Please do not pick a church that's trying to get you to think positively about changing your circumstances. Because when I'm reading the Bible, it seems like God's and Jesus, the Father, filling us with the Spirit so that we will constantly trust Him no matter what is happening. So I may be 38 months in the foster care system, but if I hit 138 months, I want to be trusting God that He knows what He's doing. I want to commit myself to the King. And if your circumstances do not change, we want our hearts to be submitting to His kingship. And there are stories of deliverance. There's stories of deliverance all over the Bible. We just saw the story today of God delivering his people. But there are stories in the Bible of God not delivering his people on this earth. Most of the apostles were killed. And many Christians around the world who are sick and oppressed will not get better and they will die. Just yesterday, the Japanese journalist Kenji Goto was beheaded by ISIS. I don't know if you know this, but he was a follower of Jesus. He was a Christian, and his goal was to go into these war zones and give children a voice in the midst of their suffering. He was captured. And I don't know if you've been following his story, but his church in Japan has been fervently praying and crying out to God for his deliverance. And yesterday, he was beheaded. What is that all about? Is he, was he delivered? No, he was, he was killed. What do, you, what do you do? You're praying for deliverance, and your deliverer is coming, your deliverer is standing by, and then you're... You're killed. Listen to these words of Jesus. Do not fear the one who kills the body. And after that has nothing more to do. Oh, so they killed him. What else can they do to him? Are they going to separate him from the love of God? No, he's standing strong in the commitments of Christ. That's all they can do. He is now enjoying the presence of Jesus forever. He is reconciled to God through the deliverer, Jesus Christ. And I understand we want circumstances to change now, but some of them never will. It does not mean that your deliverer has failed. And I believe that we can still cry out to him. And if circumstances don't change, we can trust him until we're with him. 
I mentioned to you earlier that uh, Dennis Jernigan, as a musician, has influenced me more than any other musician because his trust and his dependence upon the Lord, no matter what the struggles. Since I started talking about this musician, I feel like this is the day I'm going to talk about musicians who have influenced me. So let me talk about the second one, Rich Mullins. And the song that I referenced earlier, he sung, My Deliverer is Coming. My Deliverer is Standing By. I don't know if you know much about Rich Mullins. He's now with Jesus. But his life was marked by a lot of doubts, despondency, darkness, struggles with alcohol. And in the midst of all of that, he writes this song, My Deliverer is Coming, My Deliverer is Standing By in the midst of all his struggles. Isn't it interesting that the musicians that we find that impact us, the ones that impact me, are the ones who have suffered the most? He has such great suffering in his life. Uh, One of his songs that has really ministered to me is a song where the words go like this. Hold me, Jesus, for I'm shaken like a leaf. You've been the king of my glory. Won't you be my prince of peace? I I love that because it's like, Jesus, I don't have this fixed. This is painful. All I want right now is for you to hold me. Hold me. It's all on you. Hold me, Jesus. I remember listening to that song a ton of times in college afterwards. Since then, I'm in different pains. I talked to someone after the first service. She said in a great pain and suffering in her life, she listens to that song. and said she actually told Rich Mullins, hey, man, that song really impacted me. And then three, we- three weeks later, Rich Mullins went to be with the Lord. What it is that encourages me about others is this spirit-empowered dependence. That's what I want in my life. Deliverance may or may not come in my circumstances, but right now, Jesus, what I want is for you to hold me. And yes, you're the king of my glory, but right now I also need you to be my prince of peace where I can rest in your sovereign control no matter what and keep me there until you take me to be with you. That's the dependence I want. That's the dependence I want for you. Let's pray. Father, you are amazing that you've not left us, you've not forsaken us, and it it is not trivial what many of your children are feeling in here this morning. Some of them are feeling abandoned. Some of them are feeling just in despair. Some of them have pain in their bodies. Let them know that you are a deliverer who is coming, a deliverer who is standing by. I just ask that you would hold them, encourage them. And where there is slippage in our life of not trusting you, for the man or the woman in here who who has this... uh, taken a detour away from you and made a deal with the devil, I just ask they would turn away and repent and come and, and be forgiven and have this renewal to the king and the kingdom and your reign 
And Lord, as we go to this time of communion, the Lord's Supper, may we be fixated on your Son who has delivered us. He is our deliverer. He's delivered us from sin, reconciled us to the Father, and he is coming back soon. May you receive the worship and praise now. In Jesus' name.